0: This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on The Voice of America. This is our periodic U.S. politics edition of the program. Hello again, I'm Carol Castiel. U.S. President Joe Biden is cautiously optimistic about his goal of giving 70% of Americans at least one COVID-19 vaccine by July 4th, U.S. Independence Day. On a more somber note, as Patsy Wittekuswara reports, President Joe Biden became the first sitting president to commemorate the centenary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, the destruction in 1921 of a prosperous black community by a white mob that left up to 300 people dead and thousands homeless. At the event, President Biden took the opportunity to condemn the plethora of voter suppression bills being considered or passed by more than a dozen Republican-controlled state legislatures.
1: More Americans voted in the last election in the midst of a pandemic than any election in American history. you got voters registered. you got voters to the polls. The rule of law held. Democracy prevailed. We overcame. But today, let me be unequivocal. I've been engaged in this work my whole career, and we're going to be ramping up our efforts to overcome again. I will have more to say about this at a later date. A truly unprecedented assault on our democracy, an effort to replace nonpartisan election administrators and to intimidate those charged with tallying and reporting the election results.
0: President Joe Biden, speaking in Tulsa, Oklahoma, earlier this week, he has tasked Vice President Kamala Harris to lead Democrats in their efforts to pass comprehensive legislation known as For the People Act, currently pending in the evenly divided Senate to protect voting rights of all Americans. Furthermore, the VOA newsroom reports, quote, Republicans in the U.S. Senate blocked legislation that called for the creation of a bipartisan panel to investigate the deadly January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol by supporters of then-President Donald Trump to prevent the certification of Democrat Joe Biden's presidential victory. As expected, Republicans used a procedural tactic known as a filibuster to block the bill, which would have launched a bipartisan investigation into the insurrection. It was the first successful use of a filibuster during the Biden presidency to stop Senate legislative action, close quote. Well, we will check in with our political gurus about these issues, as well as the status of President Biden's ambitious infrastructure package. The significance of his six trillion dollar budget proposal for fiscal year 2022 and we will explore once again the obscure but powerful senate rule known as the filibuster joining us via microsoft teams are john fortier he's resident scholar at the american enterprise institute that's a conservative think tank here in washington and jim kessler he's executive vice president for policy at third way that's a center-left policy group also based in washington Gentlemen, welcome back to the program.
1: Thank you, Carl. Great to be here.
0: Well, John, let me begin with you. Let's just start briefly about the bipartisan commission, which was blocked by Senate Republicans. I want to know what you think of this vote. Many analysts are saying if the Senate can't pass that on a bipartisan basis, you know, an investigation into this assault on the Capitol that affected all senators and members of the House of Representatives, then what can Be passed on a bipartisan basis.
2: Well, I guess I don't share that view in the sense that I didn't expect that this would pass. There certainly is some support on the Republican side. I would look at it this way January 6th is something, some of the core activities that there is broad based bipartisan abhorrence of. The day was a terrible day and shouldn't have happened. And there are many things that are going forward investigations, prosecutions of individuals there that are, I think, all would agree on. You know, I think what this came down to is, were we going to have an investigation where both sides felt that they could put their stamp on a definitive understanding of what happened on January 6th? And what Republicans broadly have saying is that they didn't feel like this was going to be a fair shake or worth it. There certainly are going to be other investigations that will go forward. We're not going to learn less material because of this vote. Congress itself, in its usual way, through committee, and even a special committee that it could create, which would be more partisan, could certainly investigate further and the administration can investigate and is investigating in the Justice Department. So, you know, I think of Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader now in the Republican side, who was very critical of Donald Trump on January 6th and yet really kept most of his troops on board to be against this just because they felt like this was not going to be a look at the events that they felt was going to be a fair shake that Republicans were really going to put a stamp on. So. Some Republican defections, certainly, but mostly those who were leaving office and maybe further on the left of the party who might not be running for election in the future. The majority of Republicans, and I think that's probably true, of the majority of Republican voters were not for a big investigation with both parties saying this is the thing we can agree on for a stamp on what happened on January 6th.
0: Jim Kessler, many say that this bipartisan commission would have been the fairest bipartisan investigation with subpoena power. And the real reason that many Republicans, including minority leader Mitch McConnell, opposed it was more for political reasons, partisan political reasons. The 2022 midterms didn't want to antagonize President Trump, who was very much opposed to this commission. How do you see it?
1: Yeah, I don't think this is about a fair shake or whether this was needed or not. Of course, it was needed. And I think it's not even quite about partisanship in the 2022 elections. I think it's about Donald Trump. And you have a Republican Party that was taken over by Donald Trump in 2016. There was a brief hope after his loss that some elements of the party would be able to break free from Donald Trump, show some independence, return the party to its more normal principles and traditions. And that is not happening. So this vote is further evidence that Trump not only has control of the Republican Party, but those who would oppose him, for the most part, are just simply afraid of him. And I know that Republicans want to write a new narrative of what happened on January 6th and make it less about a insurrection and an attempt to really do violence and damage at the Capitol. But it's not because Republicans fear that a commission is going to give a partisan or unfair view of it. They fear that what Donald Trump is going to say about them and the commission should it happen.
0: Let's move on now to President Biden's proposed 2022 budget. John Fortier. It's quite a large budget, $6 trillion. We know that these budgets are more proposals, sort of wish lists. But what does it say about President Biden's values and what he would like to accomplish?
2: Look, I think broadly speaking, the Democratic Party has control of all three branches of government, but it is a kind of narrow control, all three, the Senate, the House, and the, and the presidency, a narrow control in Congress and the presidency. And what that effectively means in our politics because of the filibuster, and I know we're going to talk about that because the Senate often requires a supermajority vote to proceed on certain matters, is that certain budget or tax and spending measures done through a special procedure we call reconciliation that can be done by a simple majority vote in the Senate are much more likely to be successful. And I think Joe Biden's overall strategy has been to say, we coming out of COVID and we with Democratic priorities are going to spend a lot of money on our Democratic priorities and emphasize the things we think should be done and had success in the earlier COVID relief package and are talking about infrastructure in a way, that maybe broader than just simple infrastructure of roads, and in a budget also going forward, will have the opportunity, if they can hold themselves, their own troops together, to do these things. I think the politics of that is much better than the politics of all the other things that are much more controversial, and those things are harder to get done. Immigration, voting rights, other things. They require overcoming the filibuster. They're more controversial. These types of things, I think, while Republicans don't like them, are easier to do the last thing I will say is, though, I think while things are going pretty well for the Biden administration, the economy and this ability to spend in this way, there are people w- warning, even Democratic economists who are warning that maybe this is too much. Maybe we are really not needing as big a stimulus, as much deficit spending as has been proposed broadly across the several packages, and that we might be seeing inflation. We might be seeing problems down the road from a purely political standpoint. I think that here and now today is that things are going well, but There are potential storm clouds in the future, and I think Republicans will be making the argument against these larger packages. The extent that we're raising taxes, there are some things the Democrats will have a harder time holding together. But I do think that by proceeding in these ways, they'll get a fair amount of what they want, whereas in other areas, they will be stymied.
0: Well, over to you, Jim Kessler. We know that Biden's budget is not binding. It's a regular feature of this broader budget process. It's up to Congress, which will eventually pass its own budget. But it does reflect Biden's priorities, his broader definition of infrastructure. He wants to pay for it primarily by raising taxes on the wealthy and corporations. What message is he sending in this 2022 budget? I
1: think he did a couple of things with this budget. One is he basically said to the Democratic coalition behind him, which is very varied, both ideologically and culturally, that I've got something in here for all of you. So he comes out with this budget that basically unifies the Democratic Party. But what you're going to see moving forward is, you know, that's the high watermark and then everything is going to get smaller from it. For example, Democrats are in favor of raising the corporate tax rate. My guess is it won't be raised to 28 percent. It'll be raised to something smaller. Democrats are in favor of raising the capital gains rate, but it's not going to go up to 39.6 percent. It's going to go up to something smaller. So I expect that the pieces are going to be pared back. And I also think I wouldn't yet put the kibosh on a bipartisan agreement, at least on part of it here. The negotiations, to me, seem very real. Don't know if they're going to be fruitful, but they're at least at this moment, very real. They're earnest. So we could see something, and that would shrink things even further.
0: We'll have more on the infrastructure package after the break. You are listening to Encounter on The Voice of America. Our guests are John Fortier, resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, and Jim Kessler, from whom you just heard. He's executive vice president for policy at Third Way. They both joined me via Microsoft Teams. We're discussing the politics of passing President Joe Biden's ambitious legislative agenda. Can he get the bipartisan support he seeks? This is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on our website at voanews.com encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter at Carol Castiel VOA or connect with us on Facebook. Well, here's a shout out to a very loyal listener, Abdullah Sharif Mohammed from Mogadishu. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send an email to encounter at voanews.com or like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page. Let's continue our conversation about this infrastructure package. As Jim Kessler alluded, President Biden would like to pass this package. He's obviously made some concessions, Republicans particularly Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito, with whom he has been negotiating, has made concessions, has raised their level of spending. How do you see this after passing that big COVID-19 relief bill? This is very important to President Biden. How do you see these negotiations going forward? Are you relatively optimistic that something can be done on infrastructure, John Fortier?
2: I agree broadly with Jim that we have You know, again, because of this mechanism that you can do things with less than a supermajority vote, I think the Biden administration will get something out of this. They'll get a package. What it will look like is a little bit up in the air, and it will certainly be smaller, partly because of negotiations within their own party and partly if they negotiate with the Republicans for some narrower infrastructure bill that is probably more things that we think of as infrastructure. You know, the one joke going around town is perhaps that infrastructure bill will contain a lot of building in the state of West Virginia because, of course, the Senator Joe Manchin is the key Democrat and, and the key negotiator <laughs> on the Democratic side, on the Republican okay. side, is Charlie more capital, the two senators from a relatively small state. But look, I do think that we're going to see something will be some sort of bided win because of the nature of doing this. But again, a lot of the tax issues Even holding together 50 Democrats, there will be some issues with that. It will be pared back, and again, on some of the spending issues also. So he'll get a win, like he won't, probably in some other areas that are not budget-related. But again, it will be a long slog of compromises that gets to something not quite what he proposed, but certainly some things in the direction that he proposed. And I think the administration is smart to put many of its priorities, even the symbolic ones, in the form of this spending-type bills, which can get done at least in a certain way.
0: All right, so Jim Kessler... Obviously, Joe Biden, a uh, creature of the Senate, he really wants to do things in a bipartisan way. And he's going out of his way to do so. But he's also antagonizing many left and center left Democrats at this point. Is he engaging in kabuki theater to show he is trying to, in good faith, negotiate with Republicans on infrastructure and then eventually, you know, use budget reconciliation, this tool that allows the Senate to pass with a simple majority so the Democrats could pass something? How do you see it?
1: The Biden team is very good. It is a very seasoned team. Some of them are veterans from the Obama administration that went through a lot of these negotiations before. So it's, you know, there's just a lot of experience there. And they see a number of avenues to get to the goal line. And one is through a partisan process called reconciliation. Another is through bipartisan negotiations. And there's another way in which it's kind of a hybrid. So I think they feel that they haven't cut off any options. You know, there was a meeting, first meeting this week between Republican Senator Capito and Biden, and the message out of the meeting was that it was frank. In Washington parlance, that means bad and constructive, which in Washington parlance means good. So I do think there's still a possibility for a bipartisan agreement on some version of an infrastructure bill to happen. As we speak, the negotiators are changing their positions. So we're in a 72-hour period where we may know by the end of the week or early next week whether this could really happen or not.
0: Well, I don't know if we can briefly talk about the filibuster, but let's try to be as brief as possible, John Fortier. Many Democrats are worried about the fate of the Democratic agenda because of this filibuster. They're worried that the filibuster rule, which is this arcane Senate rule that requires 60 votes to pass legislation. That means that they'll need 10 Republicans and even keep the more conservative Democrats like Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona on board. That they may not get much more done than infrastructure if they do not either reform or eliminate this arcane Senate rule. How do you see that?
2: Well, the filibuster, just to be technical about it, is that you need 60 votes to cut off debate. So we can't endlessly talk about something that we actually get to the vote. And that has been something that both parties have used in the Senate. The minority party in the Senate often has a lot of ability to block or shape or slow legislation because of those sets of rules about debate. Democrats have all the power. They have the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And yet they have these tiny majorities in the House and especially in the Senate where it's tied. And one of the things that's very difficult, this idea that Democrats would get rid of the filibuster, first of all, it's a big step. It's been done before in certain areas. We had some on judicial and other nominations several times, both parties. But it's difficult to do. And in this case, it really requires all of the Democrats agreeing to this. And then potentially all of these agenda items would then be subject to a very narrow majority vote. So think about a conservative senator, Joe Manchin. There's also Kirsten Sinema in Arizona, another senator who are more supportive of the filibuster, even though they're Democrats. If we were to get rid of the filibuster they would be in the crosshairs for every tough vote that democrats wanted to bring forward with voting rights and immigration and other things that they especially in west virginia and their conservative states might not look forward to taking all of those votes and they've said pretty strongly that they really wouldn't entertain getting rid of the filibuster there is a question perhaps in a limited way in some particular bill or particular area Maybe they can be persuaded to go and get rid of that. But of course, you know, this is a very narrow majority. And of course, Republicans someday will be in charge as well and might use those new tools to do those things Democrats wouldn't like. So I think the basic story is on budget matters. The Biden administration has been smart because they can get some of their priorities done that way. But they're going to be stymied in a very difficult way on some other key issues that the more progressives in their party really want. And again, voting rights and immigration and gun control and other things, which won't get done with the current rules And as I say, I expect probably we won't get done because those rules won't be
0: changed. Jim Kessler, your turn to comment on the filibuster. As you know, even former President Barack Obama has said that this is a relic of the so-called Jim Crow era, the era of segregation. You have basically 30 percent of the population controlling the majority. Why should we continue to be beholden to this rule, notwithstanding a couple of the Democratic senators who really are not willing, at least so far, to give up on this rule? Is there any room you know, for reform That could mollify the cinemas and mansions, these Democrats. Where do you see the Democrats on this, given so much more legislation that they really feel is important, voting rights, possibly immigration, but particularly voting rights legislation?
1: If I were going to put my $2 bet down on what's going to happen to the filibuster during this session of Congress, I would say that it will be in the exact same place that it was when Congress started. I do not think that there is support in the Senate among Democrats, enough support to get rid of the filibuster. Could there be some modest adjustments to it? Possibly. I don't know what they would be. The senators on the Democratic side who are pointed to as opponents are Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, They've made their views known. There are more Democratic senators who are not in favor of this. They're just keeping silent. And because Manchin and cinema have been so loud about it, they can afford to just keep their mouths shut. So much of the Biden agenda can be done, the economic parts, through reconciliation. That's quite a bit. There are some other areas where things can be done through bipartisan agreement. Chuck Schumer has a bill called the Endless Frontiers Act that is really aimed at competition having to do with China. He's got a Republican co-sponsor, Indiana Senator, Senator Young, who's a Republican. I imagine at a certain point, that's a major bill, will get done in a bipartisan way and get to the president's desk. Issues like voting rights, issues like guns, issues like immigration, they're really going to be hard to do with that 60 vote margin. And that is a price that unfortunately we're just going to have to pay right now.
0: As we close, John Fortier, one other issue that Jim hasn't mentioned that may garner some bipartisan support. As we commemorated the uh, anniversary of the death of George Floyd at the hands of a white policeman, what about police reform? Do you see any prospects for bipartisan compromise on the so called George Floyd Justice and Policing Act? Well, look, I think
2: there are some efforts to have bipartisan issues related to police reform. You could say not exactly police reform, but certainly on this question of sentencing and prison reform and the last administration, there were some bipartisan successes. Look, I think the difficulty is somebody like Senator Tim Scott, an African-American Republican senator from South Carolina, has a record on these issues and has some proposals, which I think the core of could probably grab bipartisan support, maybe something a little bit amended from that. But many Democrats will Will feel that that's not enough. Many Republicans will feel like the George Floyd Act and efforts there are going too far or too anti police. So it is possible. I think we'd have to settle for something more modest.
0: Jim Kessler, you didn't mention police reform previously on our program. You've said that you thought there might be some compromise on gun safety legislation. It seems like you're excluding that as well. How do you see the police reform compromise or consensus? Do you see potential common ground? on that?
1: It could happen. There are three legislators who are really in the room trying to figure it out. It's Democrat Cory Booker from New Jersey, Republican Tim Scott from South Carolina, and Democrat Karen Bass in the House from California. They're all African-American. All three of them are negotiating in good faith and are trying to reach an agreement. And that is the first ingredient that you need in any negotiation. And there's a fair amount of trust Level between those three, I know Joe Biden would like to sign something into law as well. Republicans have been using crime and the rise in crime as a campaign issue against Democrats, and that's one of the reasons why it might not pass because doing something might benefit Republicans less politically than doing something. So I think that politics are going to play a factor, but I think we could see something get done here.
0: Over to you, John 48. Quickly, I don't know if it's too early to ask you, but what about the 2022 midterms? Normally, the so-called out party, that would be the Republicans, gain seats. What do you see... Happening so far, more than a year out. You're right. The,
2: the big picture is that the out party, the out party of the presidency, tends to do well in midterm elections. And you have to realize that both the House and the Senate are on the razor's edge. Just a few seats of the House and one seat in the Senate would tip the body towards Republicans. You know, I think without knowing all the specifics, that's probably more the default that we would expect some gain in the Republican side and probably one or both of those chambers moving toward the Republican side. You know, the bigger question really to ask is. Yes, we expect Democrats to not do so well in those elections, but how well they do or not is really determined by how well the economy is doing and how well Joe Biden is doing. And Joe Biden right now has some pretty good numbers for job approval. The economy is pretty good. If we were running a midterm election on today's conditions, I'm not sure I'd say Democrats would gain seats, but maybe those losses would be smaller or maybe Democrats could gain a few. But I think most elections we expect that probably it
0: will move more in the Republican direction. Jim Kessler, where would you put your money right now? History
1: shows that not only does the out-party do well in these elections, but the out-party does well when the Democrat is president. For me, the key race in 2022 for the Senate will be New Hampshire. If Democrats keep New Hampshire, I think they will keep the majority. If not, I don't see a path really for them to keep the majority.
0: And you're referring to the Senate? Yes. Gentlemen, on that note, that's all the time we have on this politics edition of Encounter. I'd like to thank my guest, John Fortier, resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and Jim Kessler, executive vice president for policy at Third Way. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Encounter on The Voice of America.